Hello listeners and viewers and welcome to our show, Cracking Addiction. My name's Philippe Noren and I'm a GP and addiction medicine advanced trainee. And I'm joined today by Dr. Fergal Armstrong, who's a GP, but also a lifestyle medicine and addiction specialist. Welcome to the show, Fergal. Hi, Philippe. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to be talking again about alcohol. It's a massive topic and there's a lot for us to get through. So without further ado, I'm going to ask you the big question, Fergal. What is alcohol use disorder? <laughs> okay, right. So we used to think in terms of addiction and, and there's, a, there's a kind of an operant conditioning psychological definition of addiction as the three R's. So addiction is repeated engagement with a rewarding stimulus despite negative repercussions. So repeated rewarding on repercussions. And, you know, compare that with a condition like obsessive compulsive disorder where you've got repeated engaging with a negatively uh, non-rewarding uh, uh, result despite negative consequences. So the three R's, so there's, there's this persistent activity despite harm, despite negative repercussions, because it's fun, right? Then we kind of talked about the, the, um, the, the diagnosis of dependency, which is really characterized by two key phenomena, tolerance and withdrawal. So, and, then, and then we move on to uh, the old term of addiction, where basically it was the, it was the aberrancy, it was the, the social disorder associated with tolerance and withdrawal to the subject. So it could have been the acquisitive crime, it could have been the prescription aberrancy, etc., etc. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual version 5 or edition 5 did away with that diagnosis of addiction and it created a diagnosis called substance use disorder. So we don't talk about alcohol addiction anymore in DSM-5, we talk about alcohol use disorder. And they actually came up with a number of substances or a list of substances to which you could append the diagnosis of use disorder. So in no particular order of importance, those diagnoses are cocaine, alcohol, cannabis, opioids, stimulants, hallucinogens, inhalants, tobacco, and sedatives or hypnosedatives. So any one of any drug that falls into those categories can then have an associated use disorder. So you could have a cocaine use disorder. You could have an alcohol use disorder. So in the context of alcohol use disorder, we have a number. There are actually 11 criteria. And we need at least two criteria from, from DSM-5 to make the diagnosis of a use disorder. But because there are so many criteria, the number of criteria allow us to determine the severity of the illness. So one to three criteria gives us mild use disorder. Four and five criteria give us moderate use disorder and six or more criteria give us severe use disorder. So we have the most famous mnemonic in addiction medicine, chew that cop, C-H-E-W-T-H-A-T-C-O-P. So help me out here and make sure I've got this right, Philippan. So CHEW, C-H-E-W, so cut down, the inability to cut down consumption. Yep. H for persistent use despite hazards. E for escalating use. W for withdrawal. Yep. That, T-H-A-T, so tolerance. So remember, withdrawal and tolerance uh, define dependency, physiological dependency. 
So the second H, first we had hazards, then we have health consequences, so persistent use despite health consequences. Then we have A for activity, so a reduction in activities. So people, um, you know, they're not interested in any other hobbies or, 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 or social activities. T for time, so you know, increased amounts of time, either acquiring, using, or recovering from the drug, or in this case, alcohol. That's COP, sorry, that's that. And then COP, C-O-P, so the second C, craving. So the first C was cut down, so the inability to cut down. The second C tells us why, because we are constantly craving. And then as a result of our alcohol use, we are unable to meet our obligations. We're not able to pick up the kids from school. We're not able to go to work on time. We're not able to get that project in on time. And because we can't meet our obligations, our personal relationships suffer, a loss of personal relationships, and P is for personal relationships. And for me, the, 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 that is the most important criterion for the difference between dependency and addiction, or what is now known as use disorder. Addiction is defined as a loss of healthy functioning relationships, or can be defined as that rather. And I choose to define recovery as the re-establishment of new healthy relationships or the regaining of old previously healthy relationships. So, you know, when, when, you, are, when you see people who are at the nadir of their alcohol use disorder and they have lost hope, they've hit rock bottom as we call it, they don't have any worthwhile, worthy relationships. And for me, that is a hallmark of the diagnosis, this loss of relationships. So that is how we define um, alcohol use disorder according to DSM-5. There is, however, an alternative classification. So there's the ICD-11. Now, they, they don't talk about alcohol use disorder, and they don't have a preset number of criteria, but they talk about uh, alcohol dependence. And that's characterized by an internal drive to repeatedly use uh, the alcohol. And this internal drive is associated with craving, saliency, and, and persistent use despite harms. So there's a lot, it's a looser definition, but it's pretty much giving you the same story of physiological dependency with psychosocial problems and persistent use despite harms. Does that answer the question? What, it, it, what is addiction? <laughs> it more than answers the question. And I think your very detailed response and going through all the criteria, particularly of the DSM-5 criteria for alcohol use disorder, gives us as listeners and viewers the full range of how all-encompassing alcohol use disorder can be and the various mm -hmm. impacts it can have on your life and how slowly, like you mentioned, You've got the, you have minor disease, moderate disease, and severe disease. And once your disease process is so severe, it does encompass all aspects of your life. With that CHU, yeah. that COP acronym, uh, sorry, mnemonic that you mentioned, you can see yeah. when you go through that, that's pretty much a normal life, basically. All the yeah. obligations and things you've got to do in life and how alcohol yeah. can absolutely impact on them. And going yeah. on from that, what would be the natural course of alcohol use disorder? Well, I mean, the, the natural course, as you've already alluded to, is the progression in, in terms of increasing the number of symptoms or diagnostic criteria. According to DSM-5, it does then you start developing the, the harmful consequences, the health consequences of 
of alcohol and I, I think of those as mental health, neurological health, cardiac health, liver health, uh, gonadal health and cancer. And then we have the, the, the psychosocial adversity. So you end up with loss, you end up with loss of uh, identity, you end up with loss of job, you end up with loss of relationships, you end up with loss of property, you end up bereft. So addiction, think, I, I think of, of, of our identities as an onion ring. And addiction, any addiction just slowly peels away at the outer layers of the onion ring and ultimately then exposes the inner child, the traumatized child, the, the, the pain and the suffering that, that originally triggered the use of the substance. It, it exposes us, it, it renders us to our lowest level. We lose our dignity, we lose our relationships, we lose everything. And, and any addictive substance can do that, including alcohol. And ultimately, unfortunately, I have to say, death. Death is a consequence of alcohol use disorder. How that happens it depends. So you you know I mean it's I'm sure you've seen people die of alcohol use disorder. What's what, what's been your experience? It can be quite a frustrating experience as a GP and a saddening experience as well when you see an individual slowly, so to speak, going downhill and trying different interventions and seeing how they are going to work and. And sometimes it can be quite frustrating. And especially as GPs, and I'd like to think some of our listeners or viewers will be general practitioners, you can feel a bit frustrated because you've only got a finite amount of time with the patient. You've only got 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And sometimes you can wonder, what can I do in this time that I've got? Will it require an hour or two hours for me to fully go through all the criteria that was in Chew That Cop so that, that I can ask those questions. But I think as general practitioners, and something I learned when I was doing general practice as well, is that you can certainly do a lot in 10 to 15 minutes. For example, Fergal, could, could you talk about some screening tests that, that we can do in, in general practice in, 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 say, five or 10 minutes that might actually help us determine how, how severe someone's alcohol usage might be? Yeah, so one of the very easy tools to use is the CAGE questionnaire. Uh, and so the idea is you ask four questions. So C-A-G-E, so have you ever felt you need to cut down your alcohol use? Have you ever felt annoyed that someone said someone else said you had to cut down? Have you ever felt guilty about your alcohol consumption? Or have you ever needed an eye-opener in the morning? And so a score of positive two, at least two out of that four, indicates a significant problem with alcohol. Uh, another, another tool that you can use that's fairly quick is the audit questionnaire, uh, the audit tool. And actually we have the, cons the, in medical director, if you're a GP using medical director, then there's actually uh, some of the consumption questionnaires from the audit questionnaire are actually, um, are actually embedded within medical director. But, you know, a score of 8 to 14 gives you a diagnosis of harmful or hazardous alcohol use, and a score of 15 or more gives you an indication of a, of a high likelihood of alcohol use disorder. So the, the, those are very, those are very um, structured ways of screening for alcohol. But, you know, as general practitioners, you know, I think of alcohol as a pervasive disease, you know, I, I, you don't 
you don't see it, you don't identify it unless you ask the question. So just ask a question, how much do you drink? You know, that, that it's, it's okay to ask that question because if you don't ask that question, you've got absolutely no idea if the person in front of you is at risk of effectively dying within five to ten years from an undiagnosed alcohol use disorder. Another way of thinking about alcohol is that if you've got someone with, you know, if you've got a young adult or, if, you know, a middle-aged adult with uh, abnormal LFTs, I always think about alcohol as an issue, uh, you know, an elevated GGT or an elevated MCV, these are all biochemical markers of alcohol use. And then, of course, you know, if you've got someone with a stigmata of, of liver disease, you know, that would be a very late sign. But it, it's okay to ask the question. And why should we ask the question? Because we know that roughly a quarter of Australians binge drink and about 16% of Australians drink hazardously. So that's you know, 16, call it 15, so 15 and 25, that's 40% of Australians may have a problem with alcohol. So four in 10 of the patients that you see in your surgery would benefit from you asking that question. How much do you drink? Absolutely, Fergal. And to follow on from what you're saying, evidence does show that patients do listen to their doctors, people do listen to their general practitioners, and even a brief intervention is known to have good effect. And I know on the Turning Point website, they talk about the FRAMES model, and that for our viewers and listeners is feedback, risk, advice, provide a menu of options, show some empathy, and tell the patient that they can self-achieve the goal as well. So you can give a feedback about the person's um, uh, risks as well, provide medical advice, um, and then also try and do this in a judgment, non-judgmental manner. Give the patient a menu of options, show some empathy and let the patient know that the ability to change their behaviour is well within their scope. And it's a bit of motivational interviewing, it's a bit of common sense, but it's also, again, we talked about being a human to another human in our first episode and I'd like to hearken back to that. Showing mm. the patient that you're willing to work and walk with them and it might not have immediate effect, but usually people do ponder what we say and it might at least put the idea or the seed of an idea in someone's head to, to, to tackle their alcohol use. Would you say that's a, that's a good, good intervention for GPs to trial, Fergal? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, as you say, you need to colour your practice with empathy. You need to ask the question. And yes, the frames model is a, is a very good way of approaching um, um, you know, brief intervention therapy, which has been proven to work in the context of alcohol use disorder. I think it's also important to understand that nobody, sorry, it's, it's very rare that people will suddenly say to you, just having been asked the question, you know what, I'm ready to quit, send me to a detox right now. So, Philippe, and it's also important at this point to talk about the cycle of change. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So basically the cycle of change is, as, as is described, a, a circle where it assumes we're all on this spectrum aiming to change our lives or we're thinking about changing. So it starts with pre-contemplation where you're at before you even realise you have a problem or thinking about changing the issue that you're dealing with. There's contemplation where you think you may have a problem or think there's something that you need to change. 
There's preparation where you figure out how you're going to tackle this issue or problem and the steps that you're going to need to do. There's action where you take action upon the issue or problem that you're dealing with. And basically, it's about following that circle all the way through. There's also times where you won't succeed with your action and you can go backwards and forwards through that paradigm as well. And it's just about realising where you are in that circle, realising that even when you don't achieve your goals or life is never linear, realising that even if you take a couple of steps back, you can take some more steps to kind of rectify it. Or even if you're not exactly where your goal is, if you're two or three steps below it, that's still better than where you start off with. It's about being kind to yourself and trying to make sure that you can continue going forward on your path to good health. So I think that's enough for the show today. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the episodes. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you.